0: Hey, do us a favor. If you like listening to this show, please just take a few minutes, not even a few minutes, one minute to go into Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show. This is Grand Uh, congratulations to you, me, and Tom. We are not only number one in arts now, we are like number 27 in most recommended in all of Overcast.
1: That's so crazy.
0: It's it's crazy when you say it like that, but it's to me, it's even crazier when we look at like the people that we beat out, quote, unquote, beat out. Uh, my favorite murder, Conan O'Brien, mm-hmm. Naval, who I've talked about his podcast plenty of times. Um, Oprah, <laughs> armchair expert with Dax Shepard, <laughs> last podcast on the left. Like, what the fuck?
1: <laughs> Jeez.
0: So, uh told you. know, you... it's crazy
1: though. That means over... that means uh, the overcast algorithm is good because it's it's picking up on what's active in the moment. You know what I mean?
0: Hmm. Yeah. So, to all of you out there who are hitting those stars, please keep hitting them. I'm curious how far up we could go. I mean, being like we are literally. In the in the world of podcasting, we are nobody's comparatively to these people, and uh, if you sure. haven't hit them before, now's the time to start. Join a winning team. Doesn't it make you?
1: Doesn't it make you think for a second? Like, why do people give a shit?
0: <laughs> no, you know what it makes me think. Finally, somebody is paying attention. We've been doing this for like three years, and it's been like totally silent. Um, you know, not like, mm-hmm. like this like self congratulatory thing, but more like. Oh, finally, like people are like interacting because it's been so silent. Mm-hmm. We know people have been listening. We've seen the downloads, but there hasn't been a lot of interaction. You know, not a lot of. Sure. Uh, it's not like we get tons of emails or we, you know, like there's, it's just so silent. Or when we would try to do things and we'd say, hey guys, let's try this out and then nothing would happen. So to mm-hmm. like see this, it's like, oh, finally, like we, people are interested enough to be awake, which means hopefully, that we're doing something right. Yeah,
1: I now, wonder if we just hit a certain chord or something and, and we just caught a wave or a stride or something like that. You never know with those things.
0: I feel like the more that we've just kind of relaxed into doing what we want mm-hmm. and the less we've worried about what that means in, in the long run, I think that benefits.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: There's something I was reading that was along the lines of that the other day, but I can't remember. I didn't come in with that prepared. But... Uh, Oh wait, was, was it this thing that's in front of me? Yes, actually it is. How lucky am I? I left it on the desk. This is not the topic for today, but this is just something I thought related to something we talked about before and it's been sitting on my desk. This is a Jean Cocteau quote. Listen carefully to, you, to first criticism of your work. Note carefully just what it is about your work that the critics don't like and then cultivate it. That's the part of your work that's individual <laughs> and worth keeping. Interesting, and that's so true. When when you think about like, um, you know, like uh, Joe Rogan, like why Joe Rogan successful? Is he successful for all the reasons that when he started, people probably thought that he sucked. You know, it's like he doesn't take it seriously enough. He's always joking around, or he never he always has people from the left and then the right, and then you know he hasn't he doesn't pick a side. All the things that he got criticized for are the things that he's known for. Sure. Or you can take any other podcast out there. You know, like I'm not a big fan of my favorite murder, but why is my favorite murder successful? Because it's true crime and comedy, and that's really yeah. weird. That's <laughs> actually why I kind of like it. <laughs> so that, that that I like that advice. You know, it goes back to that. Speaking of Naval, it goes back to that thing that he was saying about uh, being authentic, be authentically yourself, because then you can't be replaced. Sure. So the more this show is authentically the people that are involved with it, then the less replaceable it is.
1: Yeah, it's weird how counter that is, though. I mean, you—you, you, I remember early on, we used to read articles and, and get advice and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, sure, some of that's probably still valid. But where we've fallen as... as, as not fallen, but where where we landed as a podcast is exactly where we probably should have been the whole time, um, which is just uniquely us and genuinely you who and I are in our conversations.
0: Right. Well, I think it took three years of con- gaining confidence. Um, sure, we, sure. We might have ended up here. But I think going through all the changes and all the stuff that we went through, it's what mm-hmm. gained the confidence. And that, in a way, it kind of plays into what I wanted to talk about today. And so the topic today that I brought in, I've been reading... Um, actually, I finished it. Uh, Black Box Thinking by Matthew Syed. Fantastic mm-hmm. book. I recommend it to everyone. It is it's about the importance of failure, and uh, one of the reasons it's called black box thinking is the whole premise of the book is based off of why can't we all all industries be more like the aviation industry, in the sense that uh, the aviation industry when they make mistakes, it is public. They don't hide anything, and it spreads across the world in. Minutes so that every pilot and everybody involved in aviation can learn from that mistake and never repeat it again, and that's the reason they have black boxes in airplanes. That's and so one of one of the things that he goes into and in there is uh, something I just wrote down as a small idea, but as many of the things that I bring in here, it sits like a little grain of sand. I think that was uh, Neil Gaiman, who said, you know, there's that grain of sand and it just bugs you and it just rubs up against you and you can't get rid of it and it starts growing. And this is something called marginal gains. And it totally relates to something that you talk about all the time, which is the reason I wanted to bring it into an episode with you. Now, you've, you've talked a lot about setting small goals. And we've mm-hmm. extensively talked about why having small goals is important. This plays off of that in a sense. So the idea i don't know if the idea originated with this person but it is most associated with sir david Brailsforth, who is i guess he's like the head coach of the british cycling team mhm and what's impressive about what he's done with the british cycling team i guess um i don't know if it was his first year he wasn't even head coach yet he was like head of performance and i didn't do a ton of prep for this because i didn't want to be a dictionary but he he was head of head of performance, and they went into I think it was two thousand two Olympics, and they won two gold medals, and that was the f- the best that the British cycling team had done since nineteen oh eight. And then in two thousand eight and two thousand twelve, they won eight gold medals, both in both of them, and then they won hundreds of world championships in the meantime. Huh and the way that he was able to achieve this there's there's other stuff like he has this principal thing called core which is uh commitment ownership uh, responsibility excellence i think but the, the the other thing is marginal marginal gains and what he said is if you look at all of the different small things that go into cycling he said what if we could look at all of those and just improve them all by 1%. Hmm. So if you improve all of those small things by 1%, it's tiny. Each one is a tiny, tiny change. But uh, the, I guess the, the quote actually is, each step may be small, but the aggregation could be huge. So you know, if you change 20 things, that's a 20% improvement, right? Sure. So like for example, some of, some of the things that they changed when they go, on tour, when they go um, to Tour de France, when they're going through Europe, the cyclists stay in hotel rooms, I think he said 29 or 20, 21 days in different hotel rooms every night. Huh. And what they, he started to think about is he said, So these are, these are elite athletes. You know, they are as finely tuned as an automobile physically. And they're sleeping on different beds and different pillows every night. And he said, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, That's not good. You know, yeah, like. That's uh, crazy. You know, what if this guy has a kink in his neck the next day? He's going to perform just a little bit worse. He said, so now what they do is they have a team that goes ahead of them and gets to the hotel before the cyclists get there, changes out the bed and make sure each cyclist sleeps on the same bed every night, a mattress that is, and the same pillow. And then they vacuum the room because all those little dust things, if they have like little cuts or something, could lead to an infection. Sure. So that, that, that's the first thing they do, is they make sure that every night they stay in almost the exact same circumstance. Then they, had, they brought in a surgeon and trained all the cyclists how to wash their hands to prevent infection. Sure. So the most efficient way to wash their hands. Um, the vans that they travel and they carry the, the bicycles in, they, I don't know what they were like inside before, but they painted the insides of them completely white. And they paint them completely white because dust can accumulate. But if you have white paint, you notice the he dust does, faster. Yeah yeah, 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 sure. And it may sound ridiculous to everybody listening. But remember, we're talking about small gains here. And a little bit of dust accumulating on the tire of a bicycle can make a difference in performance. Of course. Especially on these machines and the speed that these people... I mean, people
1: when you're talking about... Millimeters and, and quarters of a second in time. Then yeah, that makes a huge difference in the long run, sure.
0: Yeah, or turning or your wheel spins out just a little bit because there's dust there, you know, like all those little things. Yeah, it could be huge. Uh, they made sure that all the clothes that they wash are washed with skin friendly detergent so nobody mm-hmm. gets a rash. Yeah, sure. Um, and then they trial and aired a bunch of different massage gels to find out which one led to the fastest recovery. Wow. So- crazy. All of those things, plus you they, you take those same kind of um, ideology and they apply that to the equipment as well. Uh, I don't have examples of that. But you know, they went through the bike and like one of the things he says in a video I watched, he said he would walk by when he first started and he'd say, That wheel looks a little crooked. And they tell him... This is, I guess, before he was a head coach. They tell him, Hey, we're in charge of this. You're not. He, he says it's not like that anymore he says now he walks in he says that wheel's a little crooked and they go thanks for pointing it out we'll fix it interesting because that can make a difference you got a little wheel wobble you know like who knows what's going to happen
1: and that's crazy that that you'd have to change the culture over time too mhm you know what i mean because it's especially for for people in areas of expertise at that spe- that that specialized and high a level the people who are doing those things think that they are the experts in those things. And you can't blame them. You know what I mean? Like if you're a person that comes out of nowhere, like if I were to come in there and say, hey, that's a wobbly wheel, I could be right. But there's there's a certain um earned there's a certain earned expertise there. You know what I mean?
0: Right. Yeah, you see that a lot with um in, in other fields outside of this too, right? You know, mm-hmm. like uh, reporters come in and point out something with law enforcement and law enforcement doesn't want to hear it. Absolutely. They're just reporters, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Or vice versa. You know, if a cop told a reporter how to do their job, like, hey, you know, the facts you gave were incorrect. I'll do my job, you do yours. That's what people like to say. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that that's one of the big things about this, too, that's, that's maybe less. People focus more on the marginal gains thing on this, but I do think that the culture plays a huge role because number one, these people have to be able to accept that that's the way things are going to be. Things are going to be that anal, and uh, I don't I don't want to use anal precise because what yeah, we're true. talking about is precision. Uh, I, I think anal is like being like that for no reason. Mm-hmm. Precision is with a purpose. But I think that you know you come in. Another person who'd be adverse to this might be the cyclist. like, "I don't want to do that. Why do' I have to wash my hands like that? I'm not going to get an infection. I'm tough, you know whatever so that's that's maybe that's why they started and they got two gold medals, and then later it took later till they got eight. Does the sure. to adapt, or maybe it just takes that much time for small goals.
1: And it's funny that you say that too. Um, it, it segways, This is the wrong way to put it. Um, I've been on that quest for the last two weeks. Basically, since we last spoke, I've been, I've been kind of jumping into that more and more and more on my own side when it comes to the photojournalism thing. And I know that, um, you know, we had conversations in between the last episode and this one about me really finding my sweet spot when it came to what I really enjoy and what I'm really good at. Mm-hmm. And ever since I picked one thing, my focus towards that one thing has been all about incremental gains.
0: Yeah, there has to be before we get into incremental gains again, there has to be a premium. You know, there has to be a number one. There Mm -hmm. really does. It doesn't mean that other things have to, you know, like the what was the name of the episode we did the last one you and I did was one thing should never be the only thing, but there should always be a number one thing because it allows you to be able to make sacrifices. You know what I mean? It, like if if uh, bicycle if cycling is your number one, then you know that uh, running is going to come second. Sure. Or, you know, your personal life, your oh, sex life,
1: and, and and by the way, um, the number one thing may not be what you think it is.
0: Right. Well, explain explain your journey and figuring that out a little bit. I think that people will find that interesting.
1: So, you know, I, I, I once fancied myself a writer, but I don't write very much. So I can't consider myself a writer. You know, like I fancy myself a musician, but it turns out like I might be good at it. I might even enjoy it, but it's, it's, it's not enough to get me out of bed every day. Like it's not something I literally think about. And I think that's, that's what ultimately defines it for me now is that just because I can do it doesn't mean it's the thing I want to do. And, um, so the incremental gains that I've been going towards is like, okay, if I really want to be a photojournalist, like if I want to, to, to take my pictures and the stories I want to tell my pictures to the next level, what is it that I really have to do to achieve that? You know what I mean? Um, so initially, I thought my big thing was, I need to, I need to be, I want to be a photojournalist. But I realized that that's such a weird, esoteric goal that has no, no real definition to it, that it was... Yeah, not I mean, does really that different. even exist anymore? Theoretically, uh, right? Yeah. Theoretically. Yeah. I mean, but so see, that's the, that, that was the struggle for me is then what then is what, what then is what, you know, the, the thing that I really want mm-hmm. to become a better photojournalist. So I needed a camera that focused faster. Um, I needed to be able to grab critical focus quicker. And what I really needed to do, and this, this, this is where the revelation came in for me. I need to never have to think about my gear. Absolutely. And so from that perspective, everything that I've been doing over the past 2 weeks and I've spent literally hours modifying and I've never spent this much time tweaking my cameras to be the precise tools that are 100% intuitive to me until now and I don't know how after 25 years of taking pictures I haven't done that
0: <laughs> what's incredible to me about that too is there's a lot of the early show was mm-hmm. you and I bouncing around from tools to tools trying things out to the point where you and I both got frustrated with the process of you know like for example the biggest I think would have been note apps Oh sure, naps. You know, bouncing around, all of that shit. But our original goal for that, I think we even stated in the first episode of the show, was our original goal was to not to have to think about our tools. Yeah, to sure. Do all the work to do, all the frustrating stuff, like you know, like this uh, same thing here. You know, like finding the right way to wash your hands, doing all of the trying, all the massage gels. The whole purpose of all of that is to get to a point where you go, that's settled, that's done. Sure, and I I think that that part of that journey, you know, we we got lost in it because maybe maybe because we were doing it publicly, it got embarrassing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, why do you think like that's the note taking stuff and all the stuff we talked about? Why do you think it took you that long with photography? Um, I think it's kind of for the same reasons
1: that we had with the note n- note taking stuff. It's fun to see new stuff, um, mm-hmm. and it's fun to play with tools. But in the long run it's more fulfilling to achieve something with those tools and sometimes that takes a while to get to. Sometimes it takes a lifetime to get to. you know um, All of these other things that I've been doing, like writing, for example, I've always been an okay writer, but I've never been a great writer. But what I do like to do is tell stories and I confused my, my desire to tell stories with my desire to want to write. One is not necessarily the other. And so with the pictures I take now the, the pictures tell the story. and that's what I've always I've discovered that that's always what I've really wanted. And the more I've gotten into being able to tell the story I want, the more frustrating it is when I have to think about my equipment. So mm-hmm. the quest... The, it, so one basically forced the other. Um, and I wouldn't have realized it if I hadn't realized the first thing, which is I like to tell stories. And so from that perspective, I think it's... it's it's For me, the, the journey wasn't so much about um, trying to figure out the best way to do something, but to figure out what it is that I wanted to do with that thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, that's that's the exact... What I was just thinking, and you brought it right exactly to where my brain was this whole time, is the, I think the defining difference... You know, you said 25 years of photography. You didn't know what the purpose of your photography was. Yeah. You were doing photography. You thought doing photography was the purpose. But okay. it wasn't. It was too generalized, right? You Absolutely. found something specific and like you said earlier, that made you get out of bed. something inspiring. And once you have that, then you can start to make decisions about your tools. Yeah. so uh, You don't get caught up in shiny object syndrome. Which exactly. Is, here's the new, here's the new. You go, I need this and I need it to shoot in this many seconds. Okay. These mm-hmm. ones don't do that. So that leaves these four cameras. Okay. Now I need this to be able to do this. These two do that. And I need this. Okay. That leaves this camera. This camera is a tool. Done.
1: You literally just described my process. Not only that, but certain other things like workflow things, like how I want to edit my pictures, how I then put the pictures onto a device in which I can see them all at the same time, for example. I used to, for example, think that it was really cool that I could download all of my photos on on my camera. I mean, I'm sorry, onto my uh, phone. But it turns out that I don't like to see them as a collection that way. So now I've figured out a smarter workflow to use them on my computer instead. And I can see them all in their narrative form. And it makes mm-hmm. me, it makes it so I can tell the picture better. Cause for me, I mean, not to sound arrogant about it, but by now, if I can't take a good picture, then I should probably quit photography. You know right. what I mean? So I can take good pictures. But what I don't know is, do the pictures tell the story I'm trying to tell? And that's such a different question. <laughs>
0: And what's what's really interesting about that now, I can connect that with two episodes with guests, and in a way that I didn't before. So Daniel Garcia, when he talked about uh, photography, I asked him in the technical rambling section where I asked about like tools and stuff like that. I asked him what he used to edit his photos, and he said he still used Photoshop. Mm-hmm. And and I said, why do you still use Photoshop? You know, there's like Lightroom and all this stuff. It, because that's what I learned it on and that's what gets the job done. If he So he had his tool settled and it worked for him. It's like the, if it ain't broken, don't fix it, right? I don't mm-hmm. know why I couldn't say the word broken correctly there. <laughs> Bar- broken.
1: <laughs> I actually I bro- thought the computer bro- lagged. Bro- the bro- word bro- broken. I thought the computer lagged for a second. I didn't know that was actually you. Did your brain lagging.
0: Yeah, that was mm-hmm. brain lagging. And then also, uh, Devon Amos, he uses... An old version of Photoshop. I don't know how old. I think it like a three or four year old version, you know, pre um the subscription model of, of uh, Adobe. So whatever version he's using. And the reason he uses that is because it does everything he needs it to do. So he hasn't had the need to look for anything else. Sure. And that's that's very beautiful. And those two people, I would say, are absolutely people who have a defined purpose. So they know whether their tool accomplishes that. And I would even relate that back to the beginning part of this conversation, of about why we're doing well. I think in Overcast is because, for the first time, I think we really understand what the purpose of what we're doing is. Mm. So, and, you know, like uh, before, we would have fun and we would think that you know, oh, was just we're here to do whatever we want. That's not really our purpose, is it? Nope. our purpose is to t- to talk out ideas. Yeah. So we cut we're cut out the chit chat at the beginning. We keep the chit chat for us, but we go right into the ideas. Sure. And now people get that. And maybe that's, you know, maybe that for them, that's what works about it. It also makes it easier on us. We don't have to sit here for two and a half hours when we can just really get to the meat. After all these years, we're so practiced we can just jump right into the meat. Now
1: it's so weird, though. Like I, I feel like we had to get there, right? Like, I mean, I feel most oh, yeah. people have to get there when it comes to this. Like I would, I, I, this stuff isn't easy to realize. Like, like I said, I mean, <laughs> I've never, I've never stopped taking pictures. I've been literally taking pictures for roughly twenty five years. You know, um, in two thousand fourteen, at the height of my my photo taking, I took one hundred and forty four thousand pictures that year, oh, and. Even through all of that, I still didn't understand what it was that I was trying to do. Like it, it, it isn't even about the picture. Uh, it, it is. It, it's hard for me to to because I feel like my brain's trying to catch up to the the excitement that I have over it. It's hard for me to even vocalize it properly because I feel like I'm skipping so many steps in the process of of, of revelation. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but but it is one hundred percent like the journey of telling pictures and what that actually looks like. And I've actually. You know, like I've gone to talks with Annie Leibovitz and a couple of other you know famous artists and photographers who have talked about this, and I feel like for the first time in my life, I actually understand what the hell
0: that actually means, yes, and everybody's journey is going to be a different length, it's going to be a different route, everything like that. Some people figure this shit out right away, good for them, yeah, good for um, them Amy <laughs> <Hey>, me <laughs> nobody I know has made it that way, <laughs> sure, but you know the thing about uh Matthew Syed, when he's talking about this marginal gain th- thing in the book, he focuses on something that other people don't necessarily focus on when they talk about marginal gains, which is always, you know, like, oh, you know, like the little things, they add up. Okay. Yeah. That's true. But what he says is the reason that we make small changes is because, first of all, the small change isolates the effect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you use that camera, which has that aperture speed, and that camera, which has that aperture speed, and you see something different in the photos, you know it's because of the aperture speed. Yeah, sure. Because you only changed one thing. Or uh, sorry, maybe even to dial it in more. If you make a change on aperture speed on the same camera, and you see a difference in the two images, you know it's because of that change in the aperture speed because you changed nothing else. You didn't change the lighting, you didn't change the angle. Shutter speed, you mean. But yes. Yeah, I mean
1: this... or the aperture size. But yeah, yeah. if I'm being technical and picky about it, yeah, sure. Yeah. Obviously i a photographer. Well, not only, not only that from that perspective, it's 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 and some of those things I figured out a long time ago. Um for example, I know that I like short depth of field. And so and the reason I like short depth of field is because I really like to isolate my subjects in my photos.
0: Explain uh, Briefly, what a short depth of field? Means. So,
1: short depth of field is um, the only thing in your frame that is sharp is the subject you're taking a picture of. I'll post a picture um, on the Instagram that demonstrates that.
0: Basically, blurry um, background is a good way. Yeah, to... blurry
1: background, blurry foreground, even, um, and your plane of focus, which is the sliver of focus within the frame, is a very specific area.
0: It's the um, thing that portrait mode on the iPhone now. Yeah, exactly.
1: Has... So it's 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 the portrait mode, and it, it, so there's an algorithm in the iPhone that cheats that because the Physically capable of producing that shorter depth of field, um, but for example, I
0: realized I like doing that a long time ago. I just didn't realize why until recently. Mm. Why is it, uh, now? You have to tell us why. You can't just like throw out some candy and then run away without you know opening because, the door of the van and I pulling like, us in.
1: I feel like every time I take a picture, there are two things that I want the picture to achieve, um, and not necessarily both at the same time, but it's one of the two. Number one. I want to catch a person in the purest moment of that emotion, um and a couple of the pictures that I have very much tell that within that that split second that's who they are, and that's how they feel um, mm-hmm. and number two is i when i when that's not the case, when I'm taking like a portrait, for example, I want to feel like that subject is talking to me, mm-hmm. right. And that when you're talking, when you're looking at someone and talking directly at them and making eye contact, the rest of the world blurs away. And which is also um, why, for example, I typically use like my favorite lens is my 50, mil- my 50 millimeter uh, 1.4 aperture lens. And the reason why is because 50 millimeter is uh, a one-to-one um, representation of the world. Uh, what I mean by that is 50 millimeter is how your eyeball sees the world. Mm-hmm. And which is the reason why um, I recently started a, a project that I'm I'm going to continuously work on. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I want to. Even... Don't don't spoil it. Yeah, I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'm you not gonna to spoil suck it.
0: energy out of it by sharing what it is too early. Yeah,
1: I, I definitely will. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do what you did with yours. Um, but yeah, so there's definitely a, a desire um, for me to continually shoot in 50 millimeter because I like to see the world that way. I don't care about zoom. Um, I don't care about. Um, you know, uh, wide-angle stuff or, or fisheye stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. Me taking a picture of that type is good every once in a while. Or if I'm too far away from my subject and I need the zoom purely for the convenience of it, then I'll do it. But my preference is not that. Um, and beyond the preference itself, there's also a a simplicity to it. Um, a, a a photojournalistic use for it. Like for example, um, I'm not a photographer. I'm a photojournalist, and those are two very different things. How like so? I, yeah, I've taken when I think of photographer, at least in my mind, I think of someone who puts sets up a tripod um and shoots pictures in a studio with a bunch of lights and all that kind of stuff. Like Daniel um, Garcia. Yeah, like Daniel Garcia, and that's his style and he's great at it. You know what I mean? Or an Ansel Adams who will spend three days hiking up the side of a mountain to take two shots um yeah. of of half dome um on, on a full moon. You know what I mean? And right. that's his style and that's what he likes. What I love to do is I like to be in the middle of it. I like to be in the crowd and I like to be taking pictures of the crowd as they are. So for me, I'm a photojournalist because I'm about capturing the images as they are and not creating images.
0: Yeah, it's more of a documentary 100%.
1: That's who I am. I'm a documentarian by nature. I love documentaries. I love reading nonfiction and biographies and all that kind of stuff. So it it stands to reason that my photojournalistic sensibilities are 100% about capturing a moment and not creating a moment.
0: It's funny when, when we compare both of our tastes in photography, how very similar we are. I prefer a 50 millimeter prime lens. I prefer black and white. I prefer it to look old. I prefer a little bit of grain. I prefer short depth, a shallow depth of field. All of that, except I hate taking pictures of people. Mm, I on. prefer taking pictures of inanimate objects. That's funny. So it's, it's, it's like we're almost there. We get almost there and like, and we're completely different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah totally i lo- i pictures are
1: my i mean i'm sorry people are my thing man i if i if i could do nothing but take pictures of people for the rest of my life i'd, ha- I'd be happy to do it
0: mm. um let's go let's go back to this marginal marginal thing marginal gains thing um the other thing that Matthew syed says about those changes the reason that we make small changes is those small changes allow for small failures sure so in the example we use, uh, maybe it'll be a little more abstract if we use it in the sense of photography. So we'll use it in... Oh, in the...
1: no, it's not. But yeah, I have very specific things I can share with you on
0: that. Okay, but yeah. follow up with me on those then. Um, so then we'll give them two different angles of it. I'm going to use the podcast to begin with. Small changes. Um, so for example, we can change hosts, which we did. You know, We're hosted by this company. We're hosted by this company. But we're not risking the whole podcast. So those are... You uh, know, yeah, cha- yeah. So the, the you know the thing when you make small changes you're only risking the change failing that small change failing you're not risking the entirety or the enormity of the scope of the project with which you're approaching you know uh, we could change the theme song but the, the show is still here the podcast is not here we didn't risk the whole podcast um, photography examples lem
1: um, so something I never even considered as a photographer. So I have multiple cameras, uh, multiple DSLRs. I like full frame, so I shoot in full frame. Um, But I never for a second considered that my focus points might all be focusing differently until uh, I started to notice recently that some of my pictures weren't quite as sharp as I thought they were. Mm -hmm. So I went on a deep dive on like, Hey, can your autofocus points go out of whack? Mm -hmm. And I definitely found out that they could. (laughs) It's a calibration thing, I'm guessing. Yeah, 100% a calibration thing. And because there's a computer algorithm that determines sharpness, right? And so from that perspective, um, I literally went through on... um, my, And I'd never done this before, which is crazy as a photographer, considering how many pictures I've taken in my life. I've never gone point by point on my autofocus to try to figure out which points were sharp and which points were off. And once I have discovered that on one of my, my tried-and-true cameras, for example, 30% of the focus points were slightly off.
0: Oh, that's yeah, terrible.
1: Exactly. And it, they weren't off by much. They were off by like millimeters. But when you're talking about short depth of field, millimeters is everything. It's the difference Marginal between... all gains. Absolutely. It's the difference between sharp eyelashes and not sharp eyelashes. Yeah. And, and, that, and that can change the emotion of a photo. Completely changes it, and that's what I'd been noticing lately because I was doing more photo journalistic stuff, and because critical sharpness was so much more important to me, I was starting to notice minute differences in the pictures. And so I exhaustively went point to point because on the camera that I'm talking about, I can change the calibration manually. Mm-hmm. I, could, I literally set up a pencil in my living room, and I took ten pictures with at each focus point. Of the pencil with the same lens and calibrated each focus point individually
0: mm, every time
1: and every time i get it's tedious as hell it took four hours for one camera um but here's the thing now i have 100 percent faith that my tool will produce what i want it to
0: and did you i mean what is that something you're gonna have to do like once a year or something no it's something you do once a decade i've had this camera for like six years so there you go it's like setting your tools like we said before right set it and forget yeah. it Totally set it
1: and forget it. Now I don't have to think about it anymore. And now when I start to notice a small difference in either the sharpness or the quality of an image, I know exactly where to look and I can fix it so much faster now.
0: And then, I mean, uh, to go off of this too, another example of this small changes affecting only small things in the cycling thing. Okay, so we try out 15 different massage gels. It's still not affecting whether they win the race or not because it's only you know maybe a 05 percent uh, gain or loss, right? So they could still win or lose that race without that change. So they have the time to be able to go through and try those different things, different hand washing techniques. They're not risking the whole race, sure. So that that's that's a really important part of that small stuff that we always leave out. So where I've kind of been going with this is um, what did I write here? Oh, actually, this is a good point to make real quick. So marginal gains, we shouldn't be surprised by this because we don't get fat in one day. Huh, sure. All the things that get worse tend to get worse incrementally over time. So you can only expect that going to improve incrementally over time. You know, you don't wake up one day and go, Whoa, I gained 100 pounds last night. If you did, you might want to go to the hospital. Because <laughs> you sure. probably swallowed a bee. <laughs> um so what I've been what I've been there's two places that I've been going with this in my mind. In, because obviously when I think about these things, then I go, if this principle is interesting, if this principle is true, how can I begin to apply it? So the first thing I think about is something I did before. Now um David Sir David Brailsforth i 'm not sure if he said this or somebody else said this, but the idea of marginal gains essentially comes from something we 've talked about before, which is Kaizen the mm-hmm. Japanese principle of always improving <clears throat> now in one way that we 've talked about that before is I mentioned the daily checklist that sometimes I would go through um, when I was in more difficult points in my life, I would do that, and then when things were better, I would stop doing it because it was you know mm-hmm. you mentioned the word tedious one of the questions i would ask myself every day is kaizen which which to me insinuated what was the friction points of today and what can i do to stop those from happening again so for example every time i you know like i had a client in the past where i had to download these files every day that were pdfs uh, not every day but every week that were pdfs and I had to use PDF version of that file, and I had to use a JPEG version of that same file. So I would have to take those PDFs and convert them to JPEGs before I could do anything else. And It was always annoying because it's tedious, it's boring. know, it, It's only like a four-minute process, but it's four minutes that I want to waste. So what I did years ago when I first started doing these quest- this questionnaire is I said, Is there a way to use Mac Automator? You know, Can I create a file on my desktop that if I drop PDFs into, it'll automatically convert them to JPEGs for me? Mm -hmm. And there was. And so then I did that for like a year. So then all I had to do was download those files into that folder. And then when I went to need both files, I had both kinds of both file in there. Marginal improvement. So one of the things I've been thinking about is maybe not doing my daily checklist the full thing all the time, but at the very least asking myself every day, Kaizen. What Mm. can I improve from today? What marginal improvement can I make today? You know, like I have these papers here that have been sitting on my desk for like three days because I want to scan them and put them in the computer. Maybe if I just deal with that, then tomorrow will be just a little bit better. And just look for things like that. Not try to do it all at once, but marginal improvements. Sure. So that's one way I've gone with it.
1: And by the way, the, the world begins to notice. <laughs> that I move my papers. <laughs> no, because you're gonna because you're gonna get better at the thing that you're doing. Yes. And and I know that that tangibly from the photo thing, like people have noticed that my photos are different and my process for taking them and delivering them is much faster, far easier, and um, the ultimate quality of all of my images is 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 noticeably better.
0: Mm-hmm. And well that you know that's an important thing that we should clarify for people not to confuse here when we say about getting your tools set and your process set and all that that doesn't mean those things can't be improved. Mm-hmm. It just means when you set those, you try to set something optimal. You know this is the best way that I know right now how to do this, and this is the best tool that I know right now to do this, and then I don't have to think about that yep. until at some point you go, Oh, this is becoming, you know, like the camera gets too old and you're like, Oh, it's not really doing what I need it to do anymore. Now it's time to reevaluate. Sure. So it's, it's important not to, because there is a, there is a trap on the other end of that too, where people get so set in their ways that they won't ever improve.
1: Yeah, sure. Or so set in their tools or too scared to learn new tools that they'll never get better. Right. I mean, I'm I'm so on this track now of of not ever letting my tools stand in the way of me creating what I want anymore. Like I I agree with Daniel's thing, um, in the sense that I still to this day. I mean, I've used Lightroom and I've I've done all these different like photo workflow things, but Photoshop still works best. And my my filing system, the way that I do it manually, still works very efficiently. So I don't need to change it until it becomes a bottleneck. And the moment that it does, I mean, I think that's that's an active thought I have in my brain now is. Is there any bottlenecks? And if they are, are they worth changing? Like, if, for example, and there are some things that are not worth changing, for example. Um, like, if I need to store images a certain way and there's a slightly faster way, but it costs a lot more and it requires me to learn a whole new set of tools, is it worth it right now for me to do that? Right. So that answer is not always yes. You know, just because it's better doesn't mean it's better for you right now.
0: Or if there's a new camera that's 1% better than the one you have, but it costs
1: $7,000. Which, by the way, there is. And I actually... Part of why this journey began was because I had a conversation with um, one of my photo nerd friends about, Oh, this Nikon is super sweet. Um, And then the the question I asked myself is, is it going to produce a better image? You know? Um, And ultimately, um, is is what I gain in workflow? Because it w- the answer was ultimately no. It wasn't going to produce a better image. But does it increase my workflow? And if it does, then it will it, it, will it increase it in such a way that is worth the $4,000 that I'd have to invest in it? And no, right. the answer was absolutely not. Not even and close, actually. It's only a marginal difference. And sure, in that particular case, the marginal difference didn't win. And in some cases, it does. But the price paid for that marginal difference was too high.
0: Right. And that's why that that clarity is really important mm-hmm. in, avoid, in avoiding that shiny object syndrome. Yeah, totally. Because you know what you want to accomplish. So you can measure or estimate, we'll say even, we'll, we'll, we'll be a little more generous. You can estimate what that change is going to be compared to what you are trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And totally. if, if it's marginal, um, and it's only one marginal change, but the cost and we're not talking just money here but obviously the, you know like oh, say for example that the you know the british cycling team they found out you know what we can get a 5% gain if we cut off the legs of all of our cyclists and replace them with metal parts <laughs> they're not going to do that because the cost is way above the gain
1: sure in that case it's the human cost but yeah absolutely
0: absolutely yeah so we need to be able to have that same kind of clarity with our own tools and our own methods which we never used to have well, here's a
1: fun one for you too, is um if you see, I mean, I love my cameras, but I didn't quite understand what loving my cameras meant until very recently. Um, and so my my understanding of that now is that if I spend enough time to t- tweak my cameras or my in this, in whatever case it is, like I do this with my golf clubs too as well. if I spend the time to tweak my tool, to the level of proficiency or or usability that I want, then I love it more and more as I as I perfect the way that it's used. And so now, like I have this love for my tools, my cameras in particular, um, that I never had before. And that sounds strange considering how many cameras I've had in my lifetime. But the cameras I currently have and the lenses that I'm currently shooting with, I I can't imagine doing what I do without them.
0: You definitely definitely negotiated. That fence that you just rode with your language <laughs> yeah you were so close to falling over to the other side of sexual fetishism <laughs> yeah
1: i mean that's thank thank you for bringing that up i don't i i, I think i i thought i did that extraordinarily well <laughs> um so thank you for calling that out but yeah no i mean that's, that's my, the, the, my 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 love of my instrument <laughs> now i can't not think about it <laughs>
0: Thanks, dude. <laughs> my deep and um,
1: abiding love. Yeah. My my, my relentless, my relentless throbbing love for my cameras um <laughs> is so much more defined now. I know exactly why I love my cameras. Mm. And that and that was something I didn't have before.
0: Yeah, that's 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 a really good feeling. For example, something very small, not compared to photos, but like why do I use the notebooks that I use? Because I've tried a bunch of them and then I know exactly why I want this one. Sure. It's like this one has page numbers. I use page numbers. Boom, there's a good reason. Mm-hmm. Paper is good. I like the paper on this one. I like that it comes with stickers to put on the spine and the cover when I'm done to archive them. Those three things makes Lloydstrom 1917 my notebook.
1: Man, how specific is that?
0: <laughs> Super specific. But you know, when you go through as many as I do, it's important.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I I feel the same way about both cameras and golf clubs too as well. Um, I have used every camera known to man. In fact, in one of my older jobs, um, I was paid to do camera reviews. So I mean, there's not really a camera on earth over the last like maybe seven or eight years that I haven't used extensively, you know? Right and that's that's a very different that it's just a very different perspective to 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 go into using your cameras that way like i i now know this is why i'm i'm saying that the specificity of understanding how and why your tools work better is so important because you have to understand well, the bigger th- i'm muddling this up but the thing that i had a hard time articulating in the very beginning was how i got to the 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 point of knowing what it is that i really really wanted to do with photography you know right. or or more particularly, what I wanted to do and how photography served that. And I had to know that before I could understand how important the tools were.
0: Yeah, that's a, even before people invest in time um, playing with tools, and playing with methods, all of these, they need to experiment with specificity. Yeah, sure. You need to really understand, you know, if you like drawing, that's not specific enough. Mm -hmm. what do you like drawing what do you want to accomplish with drawing
1: yeah i was going to say the more important question is why do you like drawing what is it that you you're attempting to achieve with your drawings yeah
0: well sometimes that you know figuring out what you like to draw can lead you to that
1: oh sure yeah that makes sense like
0: taking photos of people Mm -hmm. that can lead you to understand like oh i like photojournalism Mm -hmm. Sure. oh yeah sure stories sure so it's it's really important you know like writing oh i like writing no you don't you're still learning you know like it you'd like something specific about writing. You don't like writing in general. You know, if you like writing fan fiction, you probably can't stand the idea of having to write a textbook. So you don't like writing. You like writing fan fiction. Sure. You know, know, it's like when people say, uh, oh, I I like reading fiction. No, you don't. Hmm. You like reading fantasy, or you like reading science fiction, or you like reading literary fiction. Mm Mm-hmm. There's always a subgenre and like finding our own personal subgenres that that really helps to define so many things for us. And I think that like I wish somebody had told me that a long time ago. It's like, oh, you like writing. What do you like writing? And mm-hmm. and that changes over time, of course. But you know, it's 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 like podcasting. I like podcasting. I don't like all kinds of podcasting. I like the podcasting that I do. Sure. I like having ideas, discussing ideas, bouncing them around with an intelligent person, and finding out—you know—where the conversation goes. That's what I like. I don't like solo podcasts very much, although I would do one if it was the right topic.
1: Yeah, but you could always sense that for you it was always about the conversation. It's always been about that. Yes, you know, like I don't think there's ever been a permutation of podcasts that you are you are either a good at or b love that doesn't involve a conversation. Right. And I think that's why in some ways, we both slightly failed at our own specific endeavors when it came to podcasting. I know, for example, that I hated doing the golf one because I didn't like to talk to myself. It was super weird.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I I have a lot of practice doing that now for the Patreon. (laughs) Yeah, sure. And I do a lot of little solo stuff. But you know what I found out is the the solo stuff is better when it's shorter. Sure. Because talking to yourself for five minutes is way more. I don't know how there's people out there that do like solo shows. That are like an hour long. I don't. Know, I don't know how you do that.
1: Well, like hardcore history. Jeez. Yeah, that guy's like brilliant. two hours, man. That's nuts.
0: I can. I can. <laughs> in some cases, that. longer than that. By the way, I can understand that in an educational format where you're like, this isn't hard because I have a shitload of information right here. Oh, sure, front. and you're just disseminating information. Sure. Yeah. Um, there's one other thing. I want to. I want to take this. We're going to take this even deeper. Oh, we're going to. We're going to get the nerdiest possible on this topic, at least that I can imagine possible. So um, when, when you were younger, do you ever have a job where you get into the job and then they hand you a binder?
1: Oh, yeah. Sure. All the time.
0: And in the binder, if, if I don't know if this still exists out there. Maybe they give you wikis now. Um, I've been self-employed for so long. I have no idea. When you get these binders for people listening, it would be all of the procedures and all of the rules... And everything you supposedly needed to know about your job. Yep. And and your workplace. you know, like, uh, we they tell you how the how the break room functions. You know, if you drink the last cup of the coffee, you need to refill it and make another pot if it is before two o'clock in the afternoon. All these type of things. So that you know, it's just all of this stuff has been set, like what Lam was saying about tools. All of this stuff has been settled. We don't need to think about it anymore. Here's everything you need to know. This is the stuff that's not up for debate. I I don't know why. But number one, I always loved that because I was like, okay, cool. All I have to do is learn this and then I don't have to ask questions. I feel like less of a dumbass at a new job. <laughs> so I've been... When I read the books that I read, sometimes I run across things that are very good advice. Um, I don't remember the colors right now, but I read something not maybe six, seven years ago, about the color of the rooms that you write in and that you edit in. That there were certain colors that were stone in, shown in studies to be better to write in and be better to edit in. I think it was red and blue. You know, I'm not sure which one associated with which, but it was something along the lines of, if you're going to write in a colored room, write in a red room. And if you're going to edit, edit in a blue room. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. That would be that would be a good thing to know. So that one day, if I'm in the, in the place of having a home where i'm building rooms that i want to write in i could remember like oh well, let's paint this room red you know like it's kind of similar to what i talked about with tom not too long ago personal information management right and actually mm-hmm. i talked about it with you too so i've been playing with this idea of um taking that and all the stuff that i've learned about uh personal development you know like uh, if you are feeling anxious do the 4 4 count breath in and then the 8 count breath out and do that for at least a minute and it really calms you down creating a personal procedure manual huh to take all of these things and create a personal procedure manual something that you could just literally have as a pdf and you go or you know have somewhere that's searchable so you go wow you know like oh i have a headache today Boom! You type it in there, and then here's these three uh, homeopathic cures for headaches that you've tried that actually worked. So you don't have to search for it in on the internet and go through all this shit. You're like, here's the information I already found. Boom! Okay, here's what I do in this situation. And to clear out all of that, you know, debate and all of that. Oh, I've already settled this. You know, I figured out how to fix hiccups, and it's right here. I just type in hiccup. What do you think about that? Is that is that crazy? Um, or appealing. Hmm.
1: I'm thinking that through. Huh, let's see. I know <laughs> I know. Oh, latte just woke up. Whoa, loud.
0: Quiet. Um. I'm I'm recording. <laughs> <laughs>
1: let's see. Bad is, podcast. A, is is it appealing? Trying like to be thoughtful. You could, I'm trying to be thoughtful about this. Um, if you could I, I take
0: all of the things that you've learned, not just uh, on photography, things you've learned about life, things that work for you, like you know that when I'm sad, if I eat this, I usually feel a little bit better, and put those all into something so that you never have to like really sit and like dwell on, on what to do in certain circumstances, that you always have a procedure manual to dip in. Is that appealing?
1: my concern is that you lock yourself too much into a specific way of being without giving yourself enough time or room to change it. And and the reason I, the reason why I am saying what I'm saying is because of how dramatically the last, how much I've changed in so many procedural ways for myself in the last six months.
0: Um, but how, for example, how much did you change that? that stuff before? Before you go further, before the last six months, the stuff that you changed, how long was it before that you changed it? You know what uh, I mean? You changed it now. Probably but how long probably, were they three, like probably that? three to four years. So if you had had a procedure manual, you could have been operating on that procedural manual for three to four years before needing a rewrite.
1: Yeah, but you don't realize you need to rewrite it until something dramatic happens. And well, that's then that's, that's and life. that's my uh, well, yeah but that's my fear is that most people don't have the self awareness enough like at least i and I know i didn't um and i con- I, I consider myself to be a reasonably self aware person um I didn't realize that it needed to change until my relationship blew up and I realized how many things
0: I was not doing right. What if the first page of everybody's personal procedure manner was evaluate once a year
1: oh well, then that would be that would probably be effective, but here's the thing I don't think it's it's because I, within the scope of those three years that I was operating that way, I would ask myself that question. The problem is, sometimes it takes action or consequence to make you realize if something's wrong.
0: Right. But I mean, I think you're, you're, you're conflating two things here. If you had that procedure manual, it doesn't mean that all the stuff that you needed to make you realize that you needed to change would have been prevented those things would have still happened and you still would have came to the same realization. Maybe. You know, it's not like having this precludes those things from happening. Sure. You know, like if, if you're operating on this procedure manual and then your relationship falls apart, it's not because, you know, your relationship's not going to stay together because you had a procedure manual. You know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, but I could have changed how I evolved within the scope. And maybe that that's not something that, that should have happened. Um, and maybe everything that did happen happened the way that it should have. But... I definitely would have changed how I approached certain things with certain people um, and within the scope of my relationship, how I dealt with certain problems if I'd had an awareness of that.
0: See, I think all this stuff, what you're saying, it should be part of the procedure manual for everyone. You know, this idea of self-evaluation, putting yourself into situations, you know, like uh if if we all have our own individual procedure manual and the first chapter, not even the first page, the first chapter is about evaluation and making sure that everything in in here, you know, like it's not a Bible. Sure. It's it's more like a science book. Like we we operate science on the preclusion that all of this stuff works. Sure. Until it no longer works. So I know this cure, this cure, and this cure have got rid of my headache in the past. Well, if I do this, I do this, and I do this, they don't work. Now it's time for me to do the work to find another possibility. Sure. Whereas before, when I had a headache and I didn't have this manual and I didn't have those three steps to take, I would jump to that fourth step and mm-hmm. waste so much time when 80% of 90% of my headaches could have been cured by those three. And just having them on that paper would have saved me that time. Sure. And and obviously, everybody has a choice of what they would put into a personal procedure manual. You know, some things like, you know, maybe they don't want to cover love in there. Okay, fine, leave love out of it. But there are so many things that we waste time and energy. I know I do. And there's so many things that it would be nice to just be able to click into something and go, what did I decide works in this situation? Especially when it has something to do for me, when it has something to do with emotional turmoil. Because you don't want to think that or you're sometimes not even capable of thinking. So being able to pull out this procedural and go, okay, what are what are some small things that I can do right now? What are some small improvements I can make? Like I, you know, like it, it works really great for what you were saying about photography. I know that I need this shutter speed because of this, and put that down on paper so that at some point, if you forget why you use that. You flip that open, you go, oh, that's right. I use it because of this. So you take that principle and also apply it to your own person. You know, like, why do I do this? Oh, because I know that this gives me this effect. Well, it no longer does that. So therefore this is this this section needs a rewrite well
1: let's let's think about this from a so so the difference between the two things in my mind right the reason why it works for photography and the reason why I, I feel like it's it's dubious at dubious at best when it comes to my own life is because of objectivity there is a finite set of rules for photography. Like if you do this, this happens. If you do this, then this. If you do this, then this. With the human mind, it's a little different. With human emotions, it's different. With the time in which you combine the mind and the emotions in a circumstance within life, it's different. And what I fear is not necessarily that we're not smart enough to come up with the right answers or change those procedures as needed, but what I'm afraid of and what I'm guilty of, and the reason why I don't completely believe that this can work in the way that you're describing it is because I was not objective enough. About myself. And I feel like the reason, so, so, so I do have, I do have an answer for you that, that works better with what you're talking about from my perspective, which is I feel like it's very useful to have that manual. If you have other people who know you and trust you or, and vice versa, who you can talk to about these things, because this is what happened for me. When I, when my relationship ended, and I was in a tailspin about what I did and how I did it, and reevaluating all this stuff about myself as a person. I had a small group of friends, a small group of people who were caring and objective about who I was as a person, who could be honest with me about my strengths and my weaknesses to help me evaluate those things. And that was really, really damn critical. And if I hadn't had that, I would, I would have. I, I, I think in the long run, I would have gotten um, to where I did as a person. I just think it would have taken a fuck of a lot longer than it did. I
0: still think that you're taking a black or white opinion of this that you're not seeing exactly what I'm saying. No, I no I know exactly what you're saying. I'm just I saying don't from think the... so because your responses don't say that. Okay. What you're saying sounds like you're taking what I'm saying as creating a personal procedural manual for everything. It's not for everything. Oh, no. I'm, and I'm not saying it's for everything. I'm saying. So, but what I'm saying is, if you think the personal stuff is so objective that it can't be, then that stuff wouldn't be in your manual. But you'd still have a place for stuff like information that you found, you know, like things you know about your camera, um, things that work for your headache, things that aren't as objective. You'd still have a place for those. Oh, sure. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's like everybody's this individual. It's not okay. a black or white thing, it's okay. all gray.
1: So so I understand what you're saying now. In that context, I think it could work very well. Um if you because it means that you have to spend far less energy thinking about repetitive shit that you should yes. already have answers for.
0: That's my exact point. This isn't okay, to solve the it. mysteries
1: of life, which I think is how you were taking <laughs> Yeah, it. that's where I'm going with this it. This <laughs> is to
0: stop you from wasting time looking for information that you already know.
1: Well, oh, that's the reason why people use
0: recipes, right? Things exactly. Things that you've already learned. Having a place for those to all be stored, so that you don't have to continually relearn them. Or yeah.
1: Okay. Them. I, I agree with that because I definitely do that. I have a photography notebook that's pretty
0: stunning, actually. That's. So I figured. I, that's why I had to interrupt you. I'm like, no, you really aren't. You're not understanding what I'm saying. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I, I. I. I understand what you're saying now, and I. And I get why it would be extraordinarily useful.
0: Yeah, I mean it, there are certain interpersonal things that would, would work for me, you know, like I know that if I'm feeling um bummer, then I need to spend time with other human beings. That's something that's probably never going to change because that's kind of how the human animals work, works works. Mm-hmm. Sure. So in the in the sense of like personal uh personal life stuff, like things like that would be included, but I'm I'm talking about like What I said, you know, like paint this color, this room, this color, and this color, like this would be informative for you. You've already learned this. You read this book and you learned this. And to be able to store all of that in a place, how much time we would save. It reminds me of uh, Steve Jobs with the wearing the same fucking clothes every day.
1: Or or what I started doing for a little bit, and I still do it from time to time, which is um, cooking the same lunch. Mm. For Like a week at a time, like so. I'll I'll make a batch of something for for, for you know. Um, so I eat this. I almost unilaterally I, I eat um, the same, same thing for breakfast, and I eat something I make at the beginning of the week for lunch, and then I just have some kind of cool dinner that's different every day. But I've taken two meals completely out of the equation,
0: right? And that's, I've been doing that's...
1: that for a while. Actually, it's super fucking effective.
0: <laughs> that's like a Tim Ferriss. The that's one of the rules of the slow carb diet
1: mm-hmm.
0: was to just. Set menu. I did that for a while with breakfast, uh, which my breakfast is like most people's lunch. Mm -hmm. But I would do an egg and an avocado every day, and Mm -hmm. that was nice. You know, like okay, I'm not going to get sick of these two things because it's an egg and avocado. Yeah, sure. Good and good. Mm You know, it'd be like saying like I'm having bacon every day. Yeah, you could probably do that forever. Sure, (laughs) because it's bacon.
1: It's fucking bacon. Let's be real. But I, but dude, doing the the same lunch every day or the same thing for lunch every day for like a week is so weirdly liberating. You, also, it, it it makes you eat at the same time every day too. Right. So you you build all these weird habits into it purely by by function because now you don't have to think about either of those things. It's awesome. Yeah,
0: that would be like page seventy five of Lamb's personal information. Uh, not personal information. What did I call it? Personal procedural manual. Sure. You know, like, okay, boom, I learned this. So maybe your diet gets weird in like five years and you forget that you did that. And you flip to that section and you go, oh yeah, that's right. That was really good. Maybe I should go back to that.
1: Sorry, right. I totally... My, my microphone or my headphones completely cut out for like two seconds there. I'm back now.
0: Mm. I so said... I
1: missed, I missed the last 10 seconds of what you said.
0: I said that, you know, like maybe in five years, your diet gets crazy and you forget that you used to do that. And you flip open that page and you go, oh, that's right. That was really good. Maybe I should go back to that. Sure. Kind of, kind of like with my my uh the daily sanity checklist. You know, like I don't always do that, but when I feel like, oh, I need, I need this thing, I have that checklist saved, so that I can go back to doing that daily and asking myself those questions daily until I still until I feel better, and then I go, okay, I don't want to do this anymore because now it's becoming a chore, and I stop doing it. But that checklist is saved, so that when I do need it, I can go to it and i think that stuff is i think that plays into this marginal gains thing where it's like if you can find all these things what you're doing is you're giving yourself all of these little 1% improvements you know like i know that if i ever need a pdf converted to a jpeg multiple times a week that i can create a folder and use mac automator mm. and i can just and, and i don't remember how to do that but if i had a personal procedure manual and I would have put that in when I was doing it so that if I ever had to do it again I could just go back in there and go here's how you do it. I don't have to go searching for the internet watching shit on YouTube to learn how to do it again. Hmm. That's what I think the purpose of this is is that one per one of those marginal gains is the time we waste looking for shit we've ever we've already learned. Sure. Which drives me nuts continually. How many times I go I I feel like I already know the answer to this.
1: Oh, we do that at least 4 times a podcast or 4 times
0: an episode. <laughs> <laughs> we do it all the time. So I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna give myself an experiment, and I'm gonna try to make one of those. Interesting. I've got I feel, notebooks I feel like and notebooks I feel, full. I
1: feel, yeah. like, I feel like from person to person, the delivery methods is going to be very different as well.
0: Oh yeah, I don't even know how where I would store it. That's why I was like, well, PDF is pretty much a future-proof format. Sure. Maybe I'll just make it into a PDF, mm. and then I can put it in my you know Apple into Apple Books and. Read it like a normal book. You know, like a lot of the reason that I I keep things in journals, in paper journals, and the reason that I pick... One of the other reasons I pick the journals that I pick is because they're hardbound. I can put them on a shelf and then I read them like books. I'm always reading through my old journals like books. Because I'm continually being reminded of stuff that I already learned. So that I never forget it. You know, I've never done that. It's really powerful. Especially if you, there's points where I've become more prolific with my journals and points where I was more sparse. But the more prolific you are with a journal, you know, like if you have crazy ideas and you're putting crazy ideas in your journal and then you're flipping through and you see the crazy ideas, you might suddenly stum- stumble on something and go, oh, I want to do that now. I'm in the place where I have the skill to do that. Oh, sure.
1: Or the resources, yeah.
0: Right. Or, you know, reading a quote that maybe like, oh, it sounded interesting then, but all of a sudden you're like, this is the quote that I need right now. Kind of like that John Cocktail quote from Mm -hmm. the beginning of the show. Like, damn, this is now. And if that's sitting in a notebook one day, I might read that again and go, oh, I needed that right now.
1: Interesting. Yeah. I've never, I don't know why I've never had the impulse to do that. Like I've, I've literally never reread a single journal I've ever written. Although weird though, because when I do it online, I reread, I reread those all the time.
0: Well and to clarify i I technically i have uh, i have I have minimum three journals running at the same time um, but there's a reason for that one is like my my journal I call it my journal it's my diary, you know like how I'm feeling today personal shit mm-hmm. because that stuff is it's different than this is what I'm reading and here's what I think about what I'm reading. Um, but I have... And I have a journal for that, for when I'm reading or if I'm watching a documentary. I learned something interesting or anything like that. And then I have a third journal, which is my my book journal, which is just I journal on what I thought about a book when I finished it. What my thoughts are when I'm done with it. And I keep those all separate because I don't want... I've used to mix all that stuff together mm-hmm. and then going back and rereading journals. It was really hard to go through three pages of like really personal stuff and then be like, and then I was watching Friends, and Joey said this, and that was funny. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I didn't actually write that in a journal, but you know, like something like that could be, you know, like something inane. And you're like, well, that's awesome. I, after journaling for like six pages about how I feel like my spleen's falling out.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that, that conversation with yourself seems trite at best.
0: Yeah. yeah. So having a blue journal for my books and a gray journal for like whatever you want to call that. F- facts and information. It's a good mm-hmm. separation for me. Yeah, that makes sense. So um I think we can call this one. We can call this one. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that one was pretty heavy. Uh, I like I like how much you know what I really dig? I dig when we think we disagree on something because it forces both of us to better explain our idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that well what's what what is very valuable that I think people um need more of right now that we've had to learn, is sometimes you have to push a little bit. You know, like I had to stop you and say, hold on, that's not what I'm saying. Let's stop yeah. going down that road. And then all of a sudden, it's like, the conversation changes. It's like, oh, we're talking about this. Uh, like, hmm. Yes. And that was a failure of my communication in the beginning of not clarifying what I meant. Sure. But that's and then that's what you know. we've talked about, uh, taking the generous interpretation of what someone else is saying. It's really important to do that because most of the time we do under, misunderstand each other. Sure, out and out in the world where it's like, hold on, I'm going to assume, <laughs> I'm going to assume you mean this because this is, I don't think you mean this. Do you mean that? Oh, you do mean that. Okay, now we can argue. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but at least clarify that. you know, Like, if somebody you think somebody's being an asshole, at least figure out if they're being an asshole before you. Yeah, before you yeah.
1: accuse them of that, man. If people did that more, we'd be in a much better place. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and if you know social media and the news, like, clarified facts more, we'd probably have less of that, too. Oh, jeez. Uh, boom. Almost like a
1: joke. toll.
0: Okay, ladies and gentlemen, boys and...
1: Oh, my God. That feels so fast.
0: I know. Doesn't it?
1: I can't believe we've been talking for almost an hour and a half. That felt so fast. It's so weird.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, 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 that's what's important about these focusing on, like, one issue mm-hmm. for the episode. It feels fast because we, we're digging in. Whereas yeah, when you're bouncing true. around, it's like, where are we? I don't know where we are. Sometimes it's fast. Sometimes it's slow. Mm-hmm.
1: It's like movie, watching a movie with a good plot. They seem to go really quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. Hopefully it works the same for the audience. Yeah, Ooh. Hopefully.
1: That's amazing.
0: Uh, if you guys want to support this show, I would love that. You can go over to patreon.com forward slash productions and become a patron and get access to a shitload. A literal measured shitload of bonus content. A, metric,
1: want- a metric shitload.
0: A metric shitload. Uh, what's the other one? The imperial shitload. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we're getting a whole lot of the imperial shitload right now. But mm,
0: Not a lot a drum rolls at the end of that. Yeah, rim shots. That's two. That's two already. Uh, bonus content also is going to include. I've when I have guests on, I've decided to go back to talking to the guests for a little bit longer and putting that little bit longer onto Patreon. And what's actually extra special about that is I put out the bonus content before the actual guest episode comes out. Mm. So patrons will be able to listen to, I don't know, however long the guest wants to stay longer. Um, The the last one, the one that I'm going to put up, I think today or tomorrow with David Knight, I think is about like a half hour, 45 minutes extra. Oh, cool. Maybe, Maybe even an hour. I don't know. We talk politics and all kinds of stuff. So it's not a truncated conversation. Uh, If you want to keep up with Mr. Lamb, you, of course, can go over to Instagram and follow... Another drum roll.
1: The vacant room.
0: There we go. Don't forget the ad symbol if you're new to the internet. (laughs) And if you guys really want to follow a dog, you should follow Latte, which is Latte Like the Drink. You can see pictures of my adorable little dog and see what it's like for me to talk like a dog. And of course, you can follow the show Random Badassery, all one word. That's Instagram and Twitter. And of course, if you liked this episode, you think we're doing a good job, help us move up those charts. Hit the star on Overcast. So I'm going to take a little bit more on the Overcast thing. I know that when you look in Overcast, when you're listening to the episode, you guys don't see the star anymore. You see the dollar symbol because that you hit that and it goes to the support thing. But if you go over to the side where you see the list of all the episodes... And you know, if you touch on the episode, it expands and you see all those buttons underneath. That's where the star is. So just wanted to clarify that. Somebody was confused, wanted them to know, and everybody else that didn't know that. Hopefully, since it's not visual, that makes sense. And also, two favorite things to ask for. Please share this episode with a friend if you think they'll be interested in it. And rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Nobody's done that one yet. Not for years. So if you want to be the person to do it, you'll be our hero. Hmm. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, I've said ladies and gentlemen three times so far. Obviously, I'm done. <laughs> Bye-bye,
1: babies. <laughs> Bye. Oh my God, that is so fast. <laughs>